Wessex Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Distracted Preacher by Thomas Hardy, read by Tyg Hines. Chapter Four, at the time of the new moon. The following Thursday was changeable, damp, and gloomy, and the night threatened to be windy and unpleasant. Stockdale had gone away to Nolsey in the morning to be present at some commemoration service there, and on his return he was met by the attractive Lizzie in the passage. Whether influenced by the tide of cheerfulness which had attended him that day, or by the drives through the open air, or whether from a natural disposition to let bygones alone, he allowed himself to be fascinated into forgetfulness of the greatcoat incident, and upon the whole passed a pleasant evening, not so much in her society as within the sound of her voice as she sat talking in the back parlour to her mother, till the latter went to bed. Shortly after this Mrs. Newbury retired, and then Stockdale prepared to go upstairs himself. But before he left the room he remained standing by the dying embers a while, thinking long of one thing and another, and was only aroused by the flickering of his candle in the socket as it suddenly declined and went out. Knowing that there were a tinder-box matches and another candle in his bedroom, he felt his way upstairs without a light. On reaching his chamber he laid his hand on every possible ledge and corner for the tinder-box, but for a long time in vain. Discovering it at length, Stockdale produced a spark and was kindling the brimstone when he fancied that he heard a movement in the passage. He blew harder at the lint, the match flared up, and looking by the aid of the blue light through the door, which had been standing open all this time, he was surprised to see a male figure vanishing round the top of the staircase, with the evident intention of escaping unobserved. The personage wore the clothes which Lizzie had been brushing, and something in the outline and gait suggested to the minister that the wearer was Lizzie herself. But he was not sure of this, and, greatly excited, Stockdale determined to investigate the mystery, and to adopt his own way for doing it. He blew out the match without lighting the candle, went into the passage and proceeded on tiptoe towards Lizzie's room. A faint grey square of light in the direction of the chamber window as he approached told him that the door was open, and at once suggested that the occupant was gone. He turned and brought down his fist upon the handrail of the staircase. It was she, in her late husband's coat and hat. Somewhat relieved to find that there was no intruder in the case, yet none the less surprised, the minister crept down the stairs, softly put on his boots, overcoat and hat, and tried the front door. It was fastened as usual. He went to the back door, found this unlocked, and emerged into the garden. The night was mild and moonless, and rain had lately been falling, though for the present it had ceased. There was a sudden dropping from the trees and bushes every now and then, as each passing wind shook their boughs. Among these sounds Stockdale heard the faint fall of feet upon the road outside and he guessed from the step that it was Lizzie's. He followed the sound, and helped by the circumstance of the wind blowing from the direction in which the pedestrian moved, he got nearly close to her and kept there, without risk of being overheard. While he thus followed her up the street, or lane as it might indifferently be called, there being more hedge than houses on either side, a figure came forward to her from one of the cottage doors. Lizzie stopped. The minister stepped upon the grass and stopped also. "'Is that Mrs. Newbury?' said the man who had come out, whose voice Stockdale recognised as that of one of the most devout members of his congregation. "'It is,' said Lizzie. "'I am quite ready. I've been here this quarter-hour.' "'Ah, John,' she said, "'I have bad news. There is danger to-night for our venture.' "'And do you tell of it? 
I dreamed there might be. Yes, she said hurriedly, and you must go at once round to where the chaps are waiting and tell them they will not be wanted till tomorrow night at the same time. I go to burn the lugger off. I will, he said, and instantly went off through a gate, Lizzie continuing her way. On she tripped at a quickening pace till the lane turned into the turnpike road, which she crossed and got into the track for Ringsworth. Here she ascended the hill without the least hesitation, passed the lonely hamlet of Holworth, and went down the vale on the other side. Stockdale had never taken any extensive walks in this direction, but he was aware that if she persisted in her course much longer she would draw near to the coast, which was here between two and three miles distant from Nether Moynton and as it had been about a quarter-past eleven o'clock when they set out, her intention seemed to be to reach the shore about midnight. Lizzie soon ascended a small mound, which Stockdale at the same time adroitly skirted on the left, and a dull, monotonous roar burst upon his ear. The hillock was about fifty yards from the top of the cliffs, and by day it apparently commanded a full view of the bay. There was light enough in the sky to show her disguised figure against it when she reached the top, where she paused and afterwards sat down. Stockdale, not wishing on any account to alarm her at this moment, yet desirous of being near her, sank upon his hands and knees, crept a little higher up, and there stayed still. The wind was chilly, the ground damp, and his position one in which he did not care to remain long. However, before he had decided to leave it, the young man heard voices behind him. What they signified he did not know, but fearing that Lizzie was in danger, he was about to run forward and warn her that she might be seen, when she crept to the shelter of a little bush which maintained a precarious existence in that exposed spot, and her form was absorbed in its dark and stunted outline as if she had become part of it. She had evidently heard the men as well as he. They passed near him, talking in loud and careless tones which could be heard above the uninterrupted washings of the sea, and which suggested that they were not engaged in any business at their own risk. This proved to be the fact. Some of their words floated across to him, and caused him to forget at once the coldness of his situation. "'What's the vessel?' "'A lugger, about fifty tons. "'From Cherbourg, I suppose?' "'Yes, I believe.' "'But it don't all belong to Owlet.' "'Oh, no, he's only got a share. "'There's another or two in it a farmer and such like, but the names I don't know." The voices died away and the heads and shoulders of the men diminished towards the cliff and dropped out of sight. "'My darling has been tempted to buy a share by that unbeliever Owlet,' groaned the minister, his honest affection for Lizzie having quickened to its intensest point during these moments of risk to her person and name. "'That's why she's here,' he said to himself. "'Oh, it'll be the ruin of her!' His perturbation was interrupted by the sudden bursting out of a bright and increasing light from the spot where Lizzie was hiding. A few seconds later, and before it had reached the height of a blaze, he heard her rush past him down the hollow like a stone from a sling, in the direction of home. The light now flared high and wide, and showed its position clearly. She had kindled a bough of firs and stuck it into the bush under which she had been crouching. The wind fanned the flame, which crackled fiercely, and threatened to consume the bush as well as the bough. Stockdale paused just long enough to notice thus much, and then followed rapidly the route taken by the young woman. His intention was to overtake her and reveal himself as a friend, but run as he would he could see nothing of her. Thus he flew across the open country about Holworth, twisting his legs and ankles in unexpected fissures and descents, till, on coming to the gate between the downs and the road, he was forced to pause to get breath. 
There was no audible movement either in front or behind him, and he now concluded that she had not outrun him, but that hearing him at her heels, and believing him one of the excise party, she had hidden herself somewhere on the way and let him pass by. He went on at a more leisurely pace towards the village. On reaching the house he found his surmise to be correct, for the gate was on the latch and the door unfastened, just as he had left them. Stockdale closed the door behind him and waited silently in the passage. In about ten minutes he heard the same light footstep that he had heard in going out. It paused at the gate, which opened and shut softly, and then the door-latch was lifted and Lizzie came in. Stockdale went forward and said at once, "'Lizzie, don't be frightened. I have been waiting up for you.' She started, though she had recognised the voice. "'It is Mr. Stockdale, isn't it?' she said. "'Yes,' he answered, becoming angry now that she was safe indoors and not alarmed. "'And a nice game I found you out in to-night. You are in man's clothes, and I am ashamed of you.' Lizzie could hardly find a voice to answer this unexpected reproach. "'I am only partly in man's clothes.' she faltered, shrinking back to the wall. "'It is only his great coat and hat and breeches that I've got on, which is no harm, as he was my own husband. And I do it only because a cloak blows about so, and you can't use your arms. I have got my own dress under it just the same. It is only tucked in. Will you go away upstairs and let me pass? I didn't want you to see me at such a time as this.' "'But I have a right to see you. How do you think there can be anything between us now?' Lizzie was silent. "'You are a smuggler.' he continued sadly. "'I have only a share in the run,' she said. "'That makes no difference. Whatever did you engage in such a trade as that for, and keep it such a secret from me all this time?' "'I don't always do it. I only do it in winter-time, when tis new moon.' "'Well, I suppose that's because it can't be done anywhere else. You have regularly upset me, Lizzie.' "'I am sorry for that,' Lizzie meekly replied. "'Well, now,' he said more tenderly, no harm is done as yet. Won't you, for the sake of me, give up this blamable and dangerous practice altogether? I must do my best to save this run, she said, getting rather husky in the throat. I don't want to give you up, you know that. But I don't want to lose my venture. I don't know what to do now. Why I have kept it so secret from you is that I was afraid you would be angry if you knew. I should think so. Suppose if I had married you without finding this out, you'd have gone on with it just the same. I don't know. I did not think that far ahead. I only went out to-night to burn the folks off, because we found that the excisemen knew where the tubs were to be landed. It's a pretty mess to be in altogether, is this?" said the distracted young minister. Well, what will you do now? Lizzie slowly murmured the particulars of their plan, the chief of which were that they meant to try their luck at some other point of the shore the next night, that three landing-places were always agreed on before the run was attempted with the understanding that if the vessel was burnt off from the first point, which was Ringsworth, as it had been by her to-night, the crew should attempt to make the second, which was Lulstead Cove, on the second night, and if there, too, danger threatened, they should on the third night try the third place, which was behind a headland further west. "'Suppose the officers hindered them landing there, too,' he said, his attention to this interesting programme displacing for one moment his concern at her share in it. Then we shan't try anywhere else all this dark—that's what we call the time between moon and moon—and perhaps they'll string the tubs to a stray line and sink em a little ways from shore, and take the bearings, and then when they have a chance they'll go and creep for em. What's that? Oh, they'll go out in a boat and drag a creeper—that's a grapnel—along the bottom till it catch hold of the stray line." The minister stood thinking. 
There was no sound within doors but the tick of the clock on the stairs, and the quick breathing of Lizzie, partly from her walk and partly from agitation, as she stood close to the wall, not in such complete darkness but that he could discern against its whitewashed surface the greatcoat and the broad hat which covered her. "'Lizzie, all this is very wrong,' he said. "'Don't you remember the lesson of the tribute-money? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Surely you have heard that read times enough in your growing up.' "'He's dead,' she pouted. "'But the spirit of the text is enforced just the same. My father did it, and so did my grandfather, and almost everybody in Nether Moynton lives by it. And life would be so dull if it wasn't for that that I should not care to live at all.' "'I am nothing to live for, of course,' he replied bitterly. "'You should not think it worth while to give up this wild business and live for me alone?' "'I have never looked at it like that.' "'And you won't promise to wait till I am ready?' "'I cannot give you my word to-night.' And, looking thoughtfully down, she gradually moved and moved away, going into the adjoining room and closing the door between them. She remained there in the dark till he was tired of waiting and had gone up to his own chamber. Poor Stockdale was dreadfully depressed all the next day by the discoveries of the night before. Lizzie was unmistakably a fascinating young woman, but as a minister's wife she was hardly to be contemplated. If I had only stuck to my father's little grocery business instead of going in for the ministry, she would have suited me beautifully," he said sadly, until he remembered that in that case he would never have come from his distant home to Nether Moynton, and never have known her. The estrangement between them was not complete but it was sufficient to keep them out of each other's company. Once during the day he met her in the garden path and said, turning a reproachful eye upon her, "'Do you promise, Lizzie?" But she did not reply. The evening drew on, and he knew well enough that Lizzie would repeat her excursion that night. Her half-offended manner had shown him that she had not the slightest intention of altering her plans at present. He did not wish to repeat his own share of the adventure, but, act as he would, his uneasiness on her account increased with the decline of day. Supposing that an accident should befall her, he would never forgive himself for not being there to help, much as he disliked the idea of seeming to countenance such unlawful escapades. End of chapter 4